Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello, I'm Scott Soshnick. And I'm Evan Novi williams and you're listening to the Sportacast. Like you did a little like, what was that, extra sportscaster voice? You, you, you dropped a baritone level there. You're like trying to be Michael Barr. Hello, Big Barr on Twitter. I'm trying to atone for the fact that last week I called us the super, the super League of Sports Business Podcasts. And in 24 hours, that went from being a good thing to being a very bad thing, Scott. But you didn't. You, you called us the Champions League of. Oh, I did you? both. Champions League came, oh, okay. came second. <laughs> well, that's the one that stuck. <laughs> so we'll take so that one for now. So yeah. that's good. You know what else is going to stick? The Yankees are going to stick. The Mets are going to stick. But, and we'll lead off with this baseball reference, who would have thunk it that the Yankees and the Mets ownership, at the ownership level, could be in business together? I find this very intriguing from a number of facets. You want to explain? I'll jump in. Yeah, sure. So we're talking about media here, SNY, the regional sports network that was launched by the Mets back in 2006, I believe, with a couple of cable providers. The former owners of the Mets, the Wilpons and Katz families, who recently sold the team to Steve Cohen, they are now in the market actively considering a sale of SNY. And Scott, where the Yankees come in here, one of the groups that's interested, Steve Cohen, who owns the Mets, obviously interested. There's a lot of synergies when you own both the baseball team and the network that shows its games. But he is apparently coordinating with the Yankees and some of the owners, other owners of the Yes Network in a potential deal that would have ownership. Some of these people have ownership both in the Yes Network, the RSN that shows the Yankees, and SNY, the RSN that shows the Mets. Yeah, it should come as no surprise that Sterling Equities, which is, of course, the, uh, the entity that, uh, that owns SNY, for the Wilpon and Katz families, that's their entity, Sterling Equities, would look to get out. They don't own the team anymore. It made, it made perfect sense when you own the team and you have the broadcast component. It makes, makes perfect alignment sense. So it's not exactly a big shock that they would look to get out. And my sources tell me or told me for the story, Evan, that they're just looking. They could. It still spits off a tremendous amount of cash. There is a heavy debt load as well, but it does spit off a lot of cash. So Maybe they'll keep a piece. Maybe they'll sell a piece. And they have 65% of the network. So they do have a controlling interest. Maybe they'll hold it for a little while longer. Uh, it's also not a surprise that Steve Cohen, of course, the current owner, would be a possible bidder for the network. When they were bidding on the team, there was a report that he offered $2 billion for the network. If you're going to control the team, you might as well control the messaging on the broadcast outlet. It is not a surprise that... Yay, that the Yankees would show some interest in rolling up the other RSN and the number one 
media market, one of the other RSNs. Uh, we should note that the Yankees investors uh, in the Yes Network, they team with Sinclair, has a what 20-something RSNs, formerly a Fox. Plus. Redbird Capital just bought into um, Fenway Sports Group, which got them a 10% stake of the New England Sports Network. So now you're talking about marquee regional sports networks. The business of RSNs is not what it once was. But if you are with a marquee team in a marquee market, as these are, you could see the synergies of rolling them up together and, and presenting them with scale. Now, the all of those things I said, it should not surprise, it should not surprise. I am surprised that the owners of the Yankees and the owner of the Mets would be looking at this together, whether or not they consummate a deal, because you know darn tootin' that Steve Cohen ain't playing second fiddle to anybody if he invests in this network. So they would have to come with some arrangement where everybody's treated equally here on an equal footing. But I will go to you, Novi Williams, on the, if you're a customer uh, and you have now roll up Yankees and Mets under one entity, can you say no? I mean, there's national implications here too. That's an awfully attractive property, no? Yeah, I think that one of the questions I have, and certainly price is going to be a big variable there, how many people are just New York baseball fans? How many people who who like to watch baseball and are in the New York area only watch the Yankees, only watch the Mets, or if there was an easy way to get both, would be willing to watch both? Uh, a question I had for you, Scott, you you followed and broke more news on the on the Mets sale than probably any journalist in the country. If the Wilpons and the Katzes are ostensibly willing to entertain talks for SNY now. And Steve Cohen, who spent a year negotiating with them, is one of the most interested buyers. Why was this not a part of the sale process? Is it, is it likely they're going to get more money doing it as a whole separate process than they would have? Is the market just different now than it would have been a year ago? Why are all these people potentially getting back to the negotiating table after spending a year talking to each other? Yeah, I'm wondering if there were some tax implications in the year flip. Um, that That is what I was told, at least when the team was for sale, as to why it had to get done before the calendar. Maybe not enough time to do both. Uh, so, um, you know, I'd, I'd have to look into, into that further with some of the, the accountants that I often talk to. Um, but Steve, again, I think he wanted it. And mm-hmm. the Wilpons just said no at the time. So maybe they thought it would be worth more once he has the team. Now, do you want the network as well? I don't know. Um, yeah, there may be more bargaining chip for sure. Yeah, it could be a little more bargaining because I would think now, if you're Steve Cohen, and let's say any, any other entity, whether it's the Yankees or, I mean, I'm sure there's more than one kicking tire here, even though Steve and the Yankees seem to make the most sense. Uh, are you about to let some other entity come in and buy this thing and control your broadcasts? I, I just, with as much money as he has, and whether it's $100 million to what either way, my Lord, you just think he's got to have it, right? You spent the 2-4 on the team. You love the Mets. You really, really want to control the broadcast outlet and the messaging, too. It just makes so much sense. I think of this, Scott, kind of like I think of kind of the synergies between owning the team and owning the building. Uh, and in some sports like the NFL, the, the RSN is not a huge deal. And in some sports like baseball, it is. But once you own all the big parts of the ecosystem – 
It lets you maximize the revenue, maximize the business opportunities between them. And as you said, the opposite is also true. If someone else is the one in control of the building that you play in or the RSN that broadcasts the majority of your games, that is just a level of control that makes things a little bit different. There's a lot more cooks in the kitchen, so to speak. So yes, there's no question that uh, there's something there as well. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, it feels like a little something out of like a Philip Roth novel here where it's like the baseball diaspora of, of Yankees and Met fans across the country. I'm living all over the place, but I have now the chance to see the Yankees and the Mets on one RSN and it's five bucks a month. Sign me up. You know, I got, got to see my Yankees, got to see my Mets. That New York baseball spread goes pretty darn far. It's you know, baseball without borders for sure. Yeah, and speaking of diaspora, let's change topics here uh, from a, a star athlete leaving one major company to work for another. Simone Biles, the Olympic champion, five-time Olympic medalist, 25-time world champion, uh, world championship medalist. She is leaving Nike to go work with uh, and be an endorser of Athleta, the apparel company owned by The Gap. Uh, Scott, not the first person to to leave Nike for Athleta, uh, Allison Felix, the track star, did it a few, about a year ago, year and a half ago. Um, and both of them kind of had similar messaging when they departed, talking about the, the way that the, the way that Athleta thinks about particularly women and women of color within athletics was something that was a draw for them. So you do a wonderful, you have a wonderful ability to compartmentalize. Like my brain is still stuck on the fact that in this sports business podcast of ours, we both said diaspora. Like, what are the odds going in that that is? But I'm still thinking about that as you were talking about Simone Biles. I would not have used it if you had not used it. <laughs> I, I understand. But the fact that we did, it just makes me happy because I can't believe anybody coming in this was like, that's, you know, we're going to get that word twice today. I just don't think. And somebody listening is like, I got to look that up. How do you spell it? D-I-A-S, right? P-O-R-A. Diaspora. Thank you. Are we near the spelling bee, right? Ding. Um... <laughs> Yeah, where were we? What were you saying? <laughs> we're talking about Simone, Simone Biles, uh, who is leaving Nike. She's been with Nike since 2015 yeah. uh, and going to uh, a, a, spon- a a group, Athleta, that she says kind of upholds her values, yeah, that's particularly the key around here. women in sports. For me, that's the key here. This is not just about money because Simone Biles, I mean, the most decorated gymnast, we're going into an Olympics. You would think that Nike would still want that platform going into the games. You, that, that is a darn good billboard, Simone Biles. You want her and her reach. But the other part of this that I find very interesting, and so not only is she challenging Nike because of how we're hearing that the company treated athletes, she, this is more in line with my values. You know, Nike reversed its course on how it treated pregnant uh, athletes. Um, so not only that, but she's also putting her money where her mouth is uh, with the post-Olympic tour. Because the company is going to sponsor a tour presented by her. Now she's going mano a mano, toe to toe, fingers on the line, 100 yard dash against USA Gymnastics. Because they usually have the post-Olympic tour. Um, And we already know what uh, Simone Biles and others has said about (laughs) USAG and the Larry Nassar mess. That they didn't look out for athletes. They allowed athletes um, to get sexually abused. So she's made no secret of her feelings toward USA Gymnastics. And now she's going to say, I'm going to hit you where it really hurts. Not PR, not this, not. I'm going to hit you in the pocketbook. I'm going head to head betting that my fans, our fans will choose me over you. That to me is a very interesting component of this deal. 
Yeah, so Atleta is going to, that's the the Gold Over America tour that she's putting together after the Olympics. Atleta will be one of the big financers of that tour. I don't believe USA Gymnastics is planning a tour for after the Olympics, which they which they generally do. And as you said, she's been extremely vocal about USA Gymnastics, not just the culture that that allowed Larry Nasser, which feels extremely obvious. She's been very disappointed in how the Olympic movement and particularly USA Gymnastics has responded to that. She does not believe that the way that they've reformed their organization in the wake of Larry Nasser has been anything uh, up to what was needed to clean things up. Um, I wonder, Scott, I'm totally She says she here. doesn't trust USA Gymnastics, Eben. She says and she she's doesn't alone. trust the entity. Yeah, and mm-hmm. she's not alone, right? Exactly. Um, so, I'm totally uh, speculating that, that here. Is... I wonder I wonder if, if this was something that Athleta was willing to do, but Nike was not given the fact that Nike has a lot of a lot of big relationships across the Olympics, including with the USOPC, Team USA. Uh, I do wonder if Simone's desire to find a company that was going to back her uh, tour that was essentially undercutting the, the finances of USA Gymnastics, if that was something that some companies were willing to do and others were not. One last thing I'll say about Athleta, Scott, it's not like... This is not a, a small mom and pop uh, company. This is under the Gap umbrella that includes a division of global uh, dominance. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> that includes uh, <laughs> Old Navy. It includes Banana Republic. I think there are a few other brands in there. So this isn't a, an extremely small company. It's certainly not Nike uh, Nike scale. Um, but no question, this is a big deal. And and I do wonder if there are other you know big time athletes out there taking note. I mean, we should mention this comes less than a week after. Nike and, and Vanessa Bryant, Kobe Bryant's widow and, and, and Kobe Bryant's estate also failed to find a new deal uh, for their partnership. Um, it does seem like there has been, at least in the last few years, both on the Nike decision side and on the endorser side, uh, a lot of people leaving Nike to go other places. Well, I just wonder what how many legs this has because athletic focuses on women's empowerment, sustainability. You are seeing social change and athletes uh, being married like never before, you wonder if the check is enough anymore. And this isn't to say Nike doesn't have you know, so, some visions like that. That's not what we're saying. What I'm saying is, will athletes look for companies that forget more closely align to their way of thinking, but exactly align to their way of thinking? Can they force, will they force, will they prompt companies to behave in a certain way uh, in return for that affiliation. Athletes like never before are flexing their power, Evan. They're, they're getting what they want, how they want, when they want. And on the on the macro scale, it's because consumers are responding to it. Will consumers back the people and companies who also align with the things they hold dear? So curious to see. I mean, we, we have a, a, a bread, couple of breadcrumbs here now. Do we Do we see this continue in the future? Scott, I think it's been maybe a week or two weeks since we last mentioned the word SPAC on the podcast. So let's rectify that uh, right now. Over the weekend, a fairly big SPAC deal in the sports betting space. The parent company of Betway, which is a European bookmaker, online bookmaker, and Spin, which is an iGaming brand company called Supergroup, they have agreed to go public in an acquisition uh, with a SPAC that has a lot of sports ties. I'll let you get into who those people are. Um, but a fairly big deal in gaming, in iGaming, both in the U.S. and globally uh, for, for, for the SPAC industry. Yeah, I mean, we can just say values you know, the company at $4.7 billion. That, 
immediately shows you the, the size and scope of what we're talking about. I do appreciate you giving me the easy part and just naming the folks involved because, I mean, I, I'm not ashamed to let the folks know anytime something comes in via email, uh, text, you name it, and it has the word bet in it, what do I do? What do tell I do? I, I'll tell the world. I send it to you and I say, do, I, do we need to care about this? How big is this, right? You know this world much better than I do. So I, I say to Edmund, how big a deal is this? And this, of course, was a big deal. Let's look at some of those executives involved in this back. Uh, Eric Grubman, former NFL executive. Uh, John Collins, former NHL executive, was the CEO of On Location as well. Chris Shumway, Shumway Capital, no small person in the investing world. And uh, Tim Goodell, who, by the way, you, you may recognize that surname, uh, Brother Roger, <laughs> also an executive at the NFL. So I... Uh, I look forward to seeing what sorts of deal making Grubman and Collins can bring for the company because that's what these guys do. They they bring that gravitas, the know-how, the respect. Um, and I wouldn't bet against them. I'm, that is not saying, you know, anybody should buy shares in the company at all. Not that we have any disclosures. I'm just saying I know these guys. I speak to people who know these guys quite regularly. And some of them are left mouth agape at their ability to, to close deals, to find deals, um, relationships for decades that run deep, and it makes things like this happen. And that's especially important here in the U.S., where unlike other jurisdictions around the world, the way they are setting up sports gambling laws, a lot of times in the U.S., the teams themselves and the leagues themselves are actually pretty big power brokers in the way market access lines up, for example. Scott, you and I talked a few weeks back, maybe last week or two weeks ago, about DraftKings, which is building a sports book at TPC Scottsdale, uh, the famous golf course out in Arizona. FanDuel has a deal with, with the Phoenix Suns in Arizona. The reason they're doing those deals partially is because the sports teams are the gatekeepers to market access. If you want to have a license to take bets in Arizona, sports teams are a way to do that. And when you have John and Eric on your team who can pick up a phone and call franchises they've worked with, executives they've worked with in jurisdictions to start those conversations, that's extremely valuable. One other thing I'll say about this new group, Betway, I spoke with a few of these guys over the weekend they were refreshingly honest about the U.S. It's, it's a massive industry. It's becoming bigger and bigger. Everyone who does sports betting around the world is looking at getting into it. However, you're never going to be a market leader unless you're willing to spend a lot, a lot of money to acquire customers. It's the reason why DraftKings and FanDuel are doing so well right now. They are spending a ton of money. Betway does not seem to want to have to do that. They understand that they don't need to be a market leader in the U.S., they can launch in the U.S. in places where it makes sense. They can be responsible with their money. They don't need to be DraftKings or FanDuel. If you have a little bit of the market in the U.S., but that helps be a springboard for signing deals elsewhere, including Africa, Europe, as more jurisdictions internationally come on board, that's the way they're seeing their path. They're already profitable. That's the way they see their path to growth and keeping that profitability going. Is not to dominate the U.S. It's just to build a pretty good business in the U.S. and have that be a part of a very good business globally. I have spent... The entire time that you were just talking, no offense, I didn't listen to you, but I wasn't really listening to you because I was trying to come up with a good segue. Because when you have a, a fun kicker story, you really should get into it in a fun way, right? And nothing came to I'm so disappointed in myself. Nothing came to mind. I'm like, big kahuna, foot long, hot dog, hot dog, like nothing. Do you want me to work. give you, you want me to give some help? Yeah, oh, please. Yeah. So, for example, if in California, 
the law that legalizes sports betting gives the Dodgers the opportunity to give out market licenses for sports betting, John and Eric would be calling the Dodgers to have that conversation. Yeah, but that doesn't really flick at what we're getting into. I mean, that, that, that's a segue, yes. Speaking but Speaking of the Dodgers. <laughs> speaking of the Dodgers and, and ballpark food and Franks. Uh, yeah, I, there, there was a divorce in the Dodger dogs. Who knew? So if you don't know, I mean, Dodger dogs, everybody knows. That's a famous thing. Like next to Cracker Jacks, it might be one of the most famous ballpark foods out there. But the company that supplied the Dodgers with the dogs Farmer John is no longer supplying the Dodgers with the dogs. They were unable to come to a, an agreement. And, this, and by the way, we found out about this through Bill Plaschke. So credit to Bill Plaschke, who can write this stuff you know, better than anybody. Uh, but here's the key, if you're the Dodgers, because do you really care, other than, of course, you know, price per unit, do you really care which company you're using if you're the Dodgers, if at the end of the day, you can wrap it in something that says Dodger dog and sell it under the Dodger dog name because you, the team, have the trademark for Dodger dog. So it really doesn't matter what's between the bun because (laughs) the team has the right to call it a Dodger dog. And you know darn well with the brand value there, that's what they're going to do. It does make me wonder, since this contract, the, the, this company, Farmer John, which makes the, the, the prior Dodger dog, declined to, 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 to renew it at, a, at its prior terms. It sounds like it wasn't all that recent either. If there are Dodgers fans out there who bit into a Dodger dog last year or, or this year and said, huh, I think there's something different here. I think, I think we're doing something different. I generally think of uh, merchandising as, or, or sorry, concessions as an area that, you know, it's, it's a small part of the revenue for a team like the Dodgers. Uh, but Brendan Coffey, who wrote the story for us, dug out a great fact here, Scott. I'm sure you saw it as well. More than 2.7 million. Are you going to start million, it with more than? Yeah. More oh, than 2.7 <laughs> million Dodger dogs uh, were eaten at home games in the full uh, 81 game season in, in 2019. So the year before COVID. That's according to the National Hot Dog and Sausage Council. Uh, that's the most in the league, I believe. <laughs> Behind the uh, Chicago Cubs, who knew, uh, are a distant second at 2.1 million. Generates more than 18 million in revenue. Cubs are second at 2.1 million wieners a year. Good job, Brandon Coffey, because what would you have done with that story without the report from the National Hot Dog and Sausage Council? Exactly. I love it. Exactly. And, and one it. more thing, just to put a bow so, on this, as we talk about mom and pop stops, a, a subsidy of Global Dominance Inc., Farmer John... Uh, is not a small company anymore. It was sold a few times, ended up with Hormel, and is now part of Smithfield, which is a, a pretty major uh, food corporation as well. So it, it, again, is not as though the, the small mom and pop hot dog maker uh, is no longer a partner of the Dodgers. Uh, this is a company that has a long history with the team, but is now part of a much, much bigger corporate machine. He is Eben Novi Williams, at Novi underscore Williams on the Twitter. I am Scott Soshnick at Soshnick. On the Twitter, the show is at Sportacast. You're welcome, Cora Veltman, social media guru. And the Sportacast is the hub of what will become the Sportico Podcast Network. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. 
offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai.